Well, Patty, what a great episode we have today. Uh, it was awesome having Roger back on, wasn't it? Oh, he's really, I mean, he's so articulate and he really uh, frames the issue of interchange optimization in a way that I think anybody can understand. Absolutely. So if you're wondering what level two, level three means, uh, we're going to be talking about that. Um, and then, Patty, tell us about the Insiders Report. Oh, just more uh, more troubles for Visa and MasterCard. I think they're in the legal, we can say they're in the legal crosshairs. Um, Mr. Durbin. Yeah, Mr. Durbin and the Department of Justice. Yeah, so learn about their plight. Uh, and then in questions from the field, I'm talking about how to choose the right credit card processing company to sell for. And I'll give you a heads up, it's not just compensation. There are other things that you need to look at. And so I talk more about that in the Insider Show. And, and other things that are more important, perhaps, than compensation. So, so let's get going, James. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Well, hey, everybody, we are back again with our good friend, Roger McNamara. Roger is the president at Guide to Interchange. How are you doing today, Roger? Hey, James, Patty, great to be with you again. Nice to see you. Great to see you too, Roger. Absolutely. So uh, today we're really going to dig in a lot deeper to level two and level three interchange, probably one of the most misunderstood topics and, you know, mystifying topics in our industry. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk about how individual agents and ISOs can leverage this information to their benefit. So, Roger, before we dive into that, I keep hearing all these things about you and about Guide to Interchange and the progress that you're making. So give us an update. How's it going? Uh, what are what have you been doing? Give our listeners a little bit of an overview on an update on, on you and how you've been. Yeah, sure, James. Um, we've been really busy. So um, doing a ton of ISO B2B merchant sales training. And, and James, a lot of that is doing part to uh, the exposure that you and Patty have uh, given Guide to Interchange. So really appreciate that. Um, you know, the one day class that we offer has been a smash hit with ISOs to get them up to speed very quickly in the B2B space and all things selling in B2B. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we've done it with singles, we've done it with multiples, we've done it with uh, groups of 20 plus. I mean, you know, it's just been a whirlwind of training day after day after day. So, um, yeah, and, and delighted to talk about two and three level, level two and three data today, because I think it's going to be really informative. Yeah, I, I agree. And actually, I want to throw out the first question, if you don't mind, James, sure. you know, sort of like, Roger, can you maybe help me understand why ISOs and agents in this industry should be interested in really understanding level two and level three, well, um, you know, optimization and, and what are the merchant uh, uh, pain points that this addresses? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a hot topic. I, I think uh, interchange optimization is is one or probably the most important thing that uh, ISOs understand thoroughly. You know, having a great tool like CC Sales Pro's tool for analyzing statements is the first thing, the first step in that equation. Um, you know, I think it's important, Patty, though, to go back a little bit and talk about the history of level two and three and how it got created, because not That's a lot a good of people idea. know this and, mm -hmm. and, and where it came from. Um, you know, if you really think back uh, to the advent of the first purchasing card in the US, it was in 1986. Right. And um, it was because the, uh, the networks and the issuers figured there was an electronic way to get rid of the old purchase order system. Right. And the purchase order system was prevalent in most companies. If you wanted to buy something, you started a PO, um, hence the name purchasing cards. Right. And on that PO, there was a tremendous amount of information that passed, department to department for approval, et cetera. And when the issuers decided that they want to get into the space, the first place they went was the government to test kind of purchasing cards back in 86. And the government said, listen, there's a lot of information we need here. And the issuer said, no problem. You know what? We'll go to the suppliers and we'll get the suppliers to give that information to us. Well, easier said than done. Right. Um, in a lot of cases, the suppliers, A, didn't have the information, didn't want to work to get the information. It was laborious whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So the associations came up with these incentives, um, the level two, level three rate reductions in order to incent the suppliers to get that information, put it into their system and send it. Mm -hmm. Again, that plays very easy or says very easy plays hard in the early right. days of two and three data. Many places were uh, um, not even passing it or thought they were passing it. Processors weren't certified to uh, accept that data in their specs. And in some cases, data fell on the ground and merchants never realized the benefit of it. 
Um, and it differs between associations. So Amex's requirements are different than Visa and MasterCard's. And even to the extent that Visa and MasterCard call it something different. You know, Visa calls it level two, level three. MasterCard actually calls it data rate two and three. So there's mm -hmm. these little subtle differences there. Sure. And um, what we found over time is that as ISOs and merchant sellers have got into B2B, um, they've kind of looked for that easy button approach here. Hey, Mr. Prospect, you know, I can get you these rate reductions with level two, level three data. And that's kind of the end of the conversation. And after 30 days, the supplier looks at his statement and says, well, doesn't look much different to me. What's going on here? So I think what we're finding now is that much more uh, people are getting into this and discovering what the true meaning of two and three data is. Yeah, it's funny you say that, Roger. We run into this problem all the time. You mentioned our um, getisoamp.com, our statement analysis tool. And it's funny because, you know, we have this optimization there, what we did with Paytrace. And, you know, one of our most common uh, issues that we have, we have to educate our users. You know, they'll go in there and say, oh, look at that. I just clicked this button and I can add $2,000 a month in additional savings. I'm definitely going to do that, you know. And it's like, well, what gateway are you putting them on that's going to accept this data? Does your processor accept this data? Are they an SIC code that's able to present you this data? Like, right, there's all these, there's all these things that go into it. Sure. And I feel like they a lot of times don't, don't know it. So I kind of want to ask right off the back, so just out of curiosity, you've been working with these ISOs and agents now doing this training. Is this something that you're addressing in the training that you already have? Is this a different training program? Like, how are you actually helping the ISOs and agents to really take advantage of this opportunity? Yeah, well, it, it's actually part of it. So it, it, every training we do, there's a section that we dedicate exclusively to the two and three data yeah. uh, and the history of it and, and you know, where it's appropriate and not. Um, mm -hmm. This isn't something that's extra. Any ISO that's taken our course understands implicitly now the benefits of two, three data. But they also understand, James and Patty, that this is only one of the five value pillars that are put in play for a B2B supplier. Right. Uh, unfortunately, right. in our community, uh, our ISO reps and, and merchant sellers are leading with this as the one and only solution right. to that promised land in the, in the um, acceptance uh, universe. It's not. Right. It's, it's a small piece of. Um, but I, I would give you this number. I, I talked to an ISO not long before getting on the podcast here, James, and he, his claim to fame is interchange optimization, and he'll, he'll save you 27% uh, on average you know, with optimization. Great, fantastic. And I said to him, hey, but you're leaving another 40% on the table because you're not factoring in the things like accelerated cash value and operational efficiencies and tax right. and, and customer service value. You know, what does it mean for that buyer to be able to use that card at that supplier? Right. So um, level two is incredibly important. Level three is incredibly important, but it is really important to understand it implicitly right and be able to sell it as part of a holistic approach for your supplier to take their card. Yeah, and I think it's really actually a good time to just kind of throw out there, for those that maybe missed our last episode that we did with Roger, where we talked about those five pillars, um, I would really encourage you to definitely go check that out. Yeah. Um, okay, so now we want to dive in a little bit more uh, deeply. We want to talk more about interchange optimization, specifically this level two, level three stuff. So when we get into our next question here, um, you know, I think where I want to start with is let's give a simple explanation. So for somebody, Roger, who's not an industry person, they're a business owner, you know, how do you describe level two, level three data to them in kind of simple terms? Sure. So I would say to you that it is the data that is sent in the payment spec file that allows the issuer to give a lower discount rate for receiving that data. So the data that flows through from the merchant through the gateway and the processor, eventually to the buyer's credit card statement or charge card statement is critical in this process. And when it does flow through all the way, then that issuer in interchange will give a lower rate to that uh, merchant for accepting the card. Now, so so that information back. then is, is, is information about who the exact user is, what the item is, you know, what the, maybe the SKU is, um, things like that is, is yeah, well, that's the in, kind of in, detail in level two it's things like so let's go back in level one it's right. the credit card number right it's the expiration date the billing address and maybe the zip code okay right in level two it gets a little bit more complicated so it's the sales tax 
It's the customer code, it's the merchant postal code, it's the merchant tax ID, it's an invoice number and an order number. Okay. Now we get into level three, it gets much more detailed. Right. It's discount amounts, freight shipping amount, it's duty amount, item code, item descriptor, product code, quality, uh, quantity, tax amount, tax indicator, customer code, and tax ID. Okay. All things that need to flow through in the billing system. Right. Now, uh, I would point out, 30% of all transactions that go through in the B2B arena don't even qualify for level three because they're personal cards. Mm-hmm. They don't even qualify. Right. Business cards that have personal liability also don't qualify. So really the only ones that we have in the space that do qualify, purchasing cards, government cards, and corporate purchasing cards. VPay, of course. But um, it is impossible for any merchant rep to take a look at a card and know that it qualifies for level three. Right. So this is why James... A CC sales pro option is so important when they get a statement to run that optimization to see what actually is qualifying right now right. for that optimization. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it really is fascinating because there's so many misunderstandings in the industry around this. Um, you know, we even have to work with agents many times. They'll, we'll get a statement that's already optimized. Yeah. Right. And they'll say, oh, okay. So I'm just going to match what they currently have. And I'll say, well, hold on you have to continue optimizing for them. If you're not going to allow them to pass level two and level three data, you actually need to do a reverse optimization because you're actually going to charge them significantly more interchange if you don't recognize that and understand that, hey, they're already on level two, level three. So I think identifying that is just just so crucial. Um, You know, as we were building our AI, it was such a big deal to like make sure we're grabbing all this stuff. So I think what might be really helpful to just dig maybe one one level deeper here, Roger, would be a a specific example. So would you be able to maybe help our audience by taking, give us an example of a transaction and maybe it didn't qualify for level two, what would have to happen to get it to qualify for level two and then maybe even level three? Could you give us my, maybe a specific example to help out? Yeah, so a specific example. And, and again, a gateway is a real uh, good, um, I want to get the right word here, is a good segregator for this. You know, you have uh, excellent uh, gateways like Paytrace who miraculously can take care of this. Yes. Um, but in some cases, when an invoice number is not sequential, it will not qualify. And uh, in gateways like Paytrace, they will actually um, electronically take care of that. So as the transactions come through, they will supply a sequential invoice number. So when that flows through the processor and back to the issuing card, it will have that sequential invoice number and qualify. Uh, If that were missing, uh, it's quite possible that that transaction could fall out and not qualify for the optimization. So um, that's just one one simple example. you know, that gateway has it locked down solid. I'm not sure how exactly the technology works on the back end, but a, a, an invoice, sequential invoice number not in play can be enough to knock out non-qual and a downgrade. So what you're, what you're saying here, if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, is mm-hmm. uh, I'm a business. I own a business. I service other businesses. One of my business clients brings me a purchasing Visa card, and it's a business card, so it would qualify for this. And when I run this transaction through my gateway, um, I include all the information, the card number, the expiration date, the CVC code, the, I might even include my zip code, et cetera, et cetera, but I don't include an invoice number. Mm. So in that scenario, I wouldn't qualify and potentially maybe it wouldn't qualify for that level two versus if I did include an invoice number that would say, this is the invoice number for this transaction then all of a sudden it would be level two and my interchange rate would go from maybe 2.25 down to 2.05 or something like that. Is that, right. is that yeah, yeah, a- absolutely, James, 100%. Unless you were using a gateway like uh, Paytrace and they automatically rectify that for you, which yeah, is a pretty cool deal, right? So so, let's, no, let's talk about that, actually. I had a question about that down further on my list anyway I wanted to ask you. So let's talk about that. So when we look at this process of optimization, which basically just means we're sending additional data with the transaction you know, through to the issuer, um, you know, we see these different gateways. Some are, you know, uh, processor agnostic. You mentioned Paytrace. You know, there's uh, Accept Blue and there's others. And then, of course, there's, you know, processor specific ones. Many processors have their own gateway. In your experience, you know, how much of this can really be automated? You know, meaning, you know, a lot of this data, I mean, you know, merchant zip code and, you know, other information about the merchant, you know, the processor probably does have that information. So they could potentially automatically put in, you mentioned sequential invoicing. I mean, what percentage of this can really be automated versus needs to you know, involve somebody manually entering additional data? 
Well, if it can't be 100% automated, it can be manipulated in such a way as to uh, mimic uh, the actual. But here's what we have to bear in mind. The issuers um, who base interchange goes back to are not in the business of giving away money. They don't, they're not sitting out there saying, hey, send me this data. I want to reduce your rate because I want you to pay <coughs> less. Right. They're exactly sitting in the opposite position. They're sitting there saying, we hope we don't get this data right. because we don't want to give away the house or we want to look for some reason not to give you a lower interchange rate. Right. So what, what I say to people is, listen, this is extremely important, but it isn't the be end and then end all of everything that you will do with the supplier. It needs to be one component of your payment consulting process with them. You need to be able to educate them on what they need to do and the advantages of doing that mm -hmm. and what the reciprocation is back from that, a lower potential discount rate or interchange rate for these, these transactions. But you have to be quick to also tell them that, listen, this isn't a cure for every card. Right. You know, they're going to wonder why they took a business card that had personal liability mm -hmm. and why it didn't qualify. You know what? That's the rules. It just doesn't qualify. Um, are they out there broadcasting that and saying that? No, because that probably wouldn't be good for business. But there are some 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 great tools out there that can assist. I guess where I would say this with two and three, too many folks have relied upon it as a crutch, not fully understanding what the ramifications of it actually are. Right. And it's it's part of the value prop. It's as I said before, it's one fifth of the value prop that most most sellers should be pitching in B two B. Yeah. And, and I think um, it's so true you say that. And I think our industry, for some reason, has just been infatuated with this idea of selling value that doesn't require the client to do anything, change anything. We and, call it the easy button. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I, you know, there's two things about that that I think are so stupid. One is, you know, it's not like buyers care about this. In other words, it's not like your client is saying, I really want you to show me how to save money without me doing anything. They're fine with doing something. That's what they do. They're in right. business to make money. If you say you can change your operating processes and increase your profit margin, they're going to say, show me how. Like, right. yeah. yeah, please. And this data, James, this data in most <clears throat> accounts receivable systems is there. It's right. there. Um, right. It's, you know, uh, they know this data. They're not, they're not filtering it through to the payment record. You know, right, and when right. it filters through into the right fields within the payment descriptor and the payment record, right. then it flows through to the process or to the gateway into the processor, right. which is unbelievable. Um, and we are so advanced here compared to what we were oh, when I started in the business. And when the first when the first purchasing cards came out in 1990-ish, 92 roughly, um, you know, trying to get the technology to align with the discount rate was almost nearly impossible. Right. Today, that's a very easy fix in a lot of cases. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, um, yeah, I think it's just, it's just amazing to me how much opportunity there is there with all the, all five of the pillars you mentioned. Mm -hmm. But I think the key right. that I'm hearing you say is having that conversation, you know, with the business owner about, you know, to them, when you go to somebody and say, I can save you all this money and you don't have to do anything. It actually makes red flags go up. I mean, so from a sales perspective, you're actually leaving money on the table and making it harder to close the deal. Yeah. I actually enjoy having a conversation with these larger businesses and say, you know, they're like, what's the catch? I'll tell you exactly what the catch is. Do you have a developer? Yes. What do you pay them? 120,000 a year. Okay. I need them for three weeks. Mm -hmm. That's the catch. They're going to take your accounting software and they're going to use Paytrace's API and mm -hmm. we're going to tie all this data together so that it's there. So it's not a sequential invoice. It's actually the invoice number. It's at the yes. end, right? And yes. so we're going to tie this all in. It's going to take some time. It's going to be complicated. But good news, it's going to save you $70,000 a year. And they're like, done, let's do it. We invest, you know, they understand that. We invest three weeks of time. We invest 8,000 in payroll. We get a $70,000 annual return. Let's do it. When you say, right, I can right. get a $70,000 annual return and you do nothing, what mm -hmm. are they going to think? Oh, that's and, not and it's fixed forever, James, which is, you know, what, what people want. They don't want to come back and keep touching stuff over and over again. Because that's where the real cost comes in. They yeah. take care of this once. They import the data, they get it into the right fields. Right. Um, so, so last question on this particular part of the topic here is, you know, you've been talking to a lot of ISOs, a lot of agents. So let's talk about level two, level three specifically. Are there any other points of confusion that we missed? 
what what is it about this that's so confusing to ISOs and agents? Or maybe we already covered everything. Is there anything left on your? No, I, I think the the main com, uh, confusion is that it's automatic, um, right. and that everything qualifies for it. And um, you know that those are probably the two most important things. It's not automatic, and not every card qualifies for it. And it's a very dangerous road to go down to be leading your prospects on a, on a dance that, that, you know, for something that's not really going to ring true. Yeah. You, you mentioned optimization before with the tool from CC sales pro, you know, that one um, is key because if you don't know what they're currently getting, then you can't deal with it moving forward. Um, right. You're not going to know that. And here's the other thing that's, that's uh, important. Cards change all the time. So, yeah. you know, you don't know on a monthly, weekly, daily basis, what product is coming in. Right. Um, somebody might be on P card today and all of a sudden they're switched it tomorrow to an, uh, a non-liability card in uh, for a business uh, use. And that doesn't qualify. So, you know, it's very difficult to promise something you don't know is going to happen. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. I, and I can absolutely vouch for that. I mean, it's, it's so interesting to me. We probably have about 30 or 40 users of our system that mm -hmm. exclusively sell, you know, they use our tool, uh, getisoamp.com just for the optimization. And, you know, what's so interesting to me is they'll send us two statements. Just yesterday, we had two people send in a statement that said, same person send a statement. Um, hey, I think both of these are going to be really good for optimization. Run this. Okay. This is a true story. Okay. Yesterday, one of those had $7,300 a month in level two, level three optimization potential. The other one, not quite as high a volume, but still pretty high volume, six figure volume a month, $3 and 40 something cents. Wow. Such and the difference. reason is because what a difference. they thought that the one, they thought both merchants were doing a lot of B2B and the one wasn't. Uh -huh. I mean, that's all there is to it. And until you get the statement and actually run the thing and it, you know, they didn't look at it. They just sent it in, you know, cause they don't have to look at it anymore. They just send it in. But our AI broke it down and said, look, these card types don't qualify in the other one. And so they were pleasantly surprised with the one, a little disappointed with the other one, but that's just the reality of what it is. You can't just eyeball a statement and say, I can probably give you 15 basis points of savings on, no, mm -hmm. you have no idea unless you're going line by line down to that interchange table and, and really separating it out. So um, let's transition a little bit here, Roger, and talk about sales. Okay, yeah. so we've talked about level two, level three. Obviously, if, if this, this all sounds like Greek to you, get Roger's, uh, you know, training program one day, immersive, all that. And, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But if you do understand it and you're ready to go out there and sell it, let's talk about that side of it. So um, what would you say are the first steps, Roger, for an ISO or an agent to um, really start to move towards generating sales with this knowledge about optimization and the five pillars. What are the first steps for them to take to kind of move in that direction and start selling people? Well, I, I think for anybody, and you know, we we covered this in our training too, James, is to understand the B two B business is not so much. Um, I don't want to say they're not focused on price because they are, but um, if we use the traditional methods of selling B two B that we used in B two C we will get the same results. And um, we don't need that. You know, the problem in B2B today, because the suppliers don't understand uh, what they're doing in a lot of cases, is mm -hmm. we don't have card opened up fully to its full potential. Right. So we'll, we'll have right. B2B merchants who suppress, um, surcharge, do a million other things. Some customers can come in and use and can't. So I think for anybody, the first step is understanding the totality of B2B and how different it is from B2C. Okay. Um, I think then the second thing is to understand what are the competitive forces here? You know, the competitive forces in B2C are either you take credit or you don't. That's it. Because right. cash is one of those things today that was a competitive force 25 years ago. Not so much today. It's unheard of for a business in the B2C world right. not to play in the credit space. In the B2B world, that's different. They have competitive forces in the form of check, ACH, wire. And here's the hard part. They're all less expensive than plastic. Right. So how does that seller translate all this, including level two, level three data, to get that person in a place where they believe that plastic is competitive with check, ACH, and wire? It can be done. But today, what we're doing is we're selling it the same way that we sold in the B2C space. And that's why a lot of people struggle in B2B. But let me rephrase that. That's why people sell in B2B and don't optimize. I don't mean to use that word too much, but optimize what they get from the supplier in terms of volume. 
Right, right. So, so in other words, unlike businesses that are B2C, meaning merchants that are selling to consumers, yeah. merchants that are selling to other merchants, to other businesses doing these B2B transactions, you're saying that for them, it's not like it is in the B2C world where it's like, sure, we'll take card, we'll take whatever you'll give us, we'll take it. Yeah. In the B2B world, you have a lot more of like you talk about suppression, these businesses saying, we don't want to take a credit card payment. So mm-hmm. we're going to discourage it or even not allow it in certain cases or on certain transactions. But what you're saying is, it sounds like the key is as these salespeople, they need to understand the whole value proposition to go into these suppliers, these B2B companies and really make the idea of accepting cards yeah. a you know a compelling because if you're not James, all you're doing is selling price. And again, there are some players out there in the B2B space that you know believe that selling something at, at one and a half or two percent uh, is going to get them uh, volume. It may, but I'm saying, why would you? Why would you want to do? You can go in and offer net effective cost of eight basis points versus three percent. You'd want to know how you can get your merchant to look at this in a different way. And I think that's the opportunity that exists. There's huge potential here. We, we, you and I talked about this before, Patty, and you and I as well. You know, there, this is a $20 trillion opportunity. Mm-hmm. Only 8% of uh, transactions in B2B today go on plastic, meaning 92% go somewhere else. Wow. So our side of the equation, you know, the plastic people over here, the acquirers should be concerned about that. We don't have a share that represents. Now, if you go to B2C and we ask that same, apply that same logic, we've got 95% of that share over there. Right. So in this space, we're deficient and we're deficient because we haven't taken the time to really peel back the the layers on this to discover it. We've just rushed in, applied a couple of band-aids and we're hoping for the best. you know, when we step back a little bit and we we uncover what we what we don't know, and then we present that to our finance types at these organizations, it ups our our success quotient exponentially. So, so Roger, is that the big challenge, or you know, are there are there other challenges that that the individual agent has, um, you know, in making that transition from traditional card processing to interchange optimization? Well, uh, James and you will appreciate this. I would say the biggest challenge in the ISO world right now um, is that for the longest time, the ISOs have had a wonderful run in the business consumer space, an absolute mega knock it out of the park run. And COVID has taught us a lot. COVID has given us pause. It's cut residual income. It's cut volume and accounts. And now a lot of people understand that they do need to change. They do need to go after new markets. But the secondary challenge from that is within the ISO world, Patty, ISOs have never had to fork out or pay for training ever in their career. Mm -hmm. Now there's opportunities, but they cost a little money to get there. And this Mm -hmm. sometimes can be a struggle for them to balance. Hey, what can I get versus the value that, uh, or what what, what value can I get versus the money I'm spending? So, Mm -hmm. you know, when I talk to ISOs a lot, I do see them and, and we're priced really competitive in this space. But I see ISOs go, wait a second, I've been in this business for 30 years. I haven't spent a hundred bucks. You know, why would I spend that? And mm-hmm. we've got to get to a place where we understand that B2B um, is a different animal. And we've, 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 got, we've got to get there. We've got to get there somehow. Yeah. You know, I, I actually have a really funny story there. Sorry to pa- cut you off, Patty. It's okay. I had to cut in. It's so funny. So literally right before this uh, podcast interview that we're recording, <clears throat> I was talking to an ISO owner in Canada and we're starting to do some, some work together. Um, and I'm helping him with the call center, merchant services, different things. And um, we were talking about sales training. And it was just funny how the opposite perspective of what you just said, Roger, in other industries, because this guy was saying, you know, I'm so glad that I was able to connect with you today because I was really thinking about going with Grant Cardone and getting some training from Grant Cardone's company. And we talked price a little bit, you know? And I mean, it's it's staggering, absolutely staggering. Like, these, these auto, you know, auto uh, resellers, you know, car salesmen, you know, real, real estate agents, insurance companies, these individual like locations with 10 agents are spending $30,000, $40,000 a year to get sales training because they realize that without that sales training, their team is not going to be at peak performance. They're not going to be motivated. And yet, Roger, to your point in our industry, you know, there's this struggle. And, and I agree with you. I've seen in my own consulting practice, I had to refu- start refusing clients uh, for a, a few months a while back because 
it's starting to shift and people are starting to go, well, wait a second, you know, we can actually make more money if we spend a little money. Um, but it is staggering to me when you look at other industries. And then I agree with you in our industry, I think there's a mentality of this is, this all has been working for us for 20 years. We don't need any training. And yet when you ask, when you really dig in, the ISOs are saying, we really need to change. We really need to adjust. We really need to pivot. And it's like, okay, are you willing to invest to make that pivot? No. Right. Right. I, yeah, I agree. Great, great point. Great point. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure Grant doesn't give it away either. Uh, oh, it's, it's unbelievably expensive. You know, I mean, compared that's a marketing to machine. Do, it's like, yeah, exactly. So anyway, but Patty, I'm sorry. I think I cut you off. Early. No, no, actually you made my point, you know, I mean, it seems to me that you can cheap out, <laughs> you know, right. It's sort of like, you know, uh, a real estate agent or a doctor, right? I mean, a lot of these professions, you have to keep going back and getting continuing education in order to be certified. I have a friend who's in real estate and she talks about how many credits a year she has to get. And she's paying for all of that. And it's making her a better sales agent. And, yeah. you know, the same thing is true here. It's like, if you don't pay anything, you know, sort of like sort of a variation on you get what you pay for. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right? I would say. Right. Well, Roger, I'm sure we could continue this conversation for another hour or so, but we better not do that today for our listeners. So. Uh, I definitely, though, I do want to say before I jump off, I'm a big believer in what you're doing. Um, you know, and I believe the, the, correct me if I'm wrong, the most popular program right now that you have is this one day kind of immersive, the five pillars of selling B2B. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we offer a one day course. You can go to our website. It's www.guide2interchange.com. Um, or you can go on LinkedIn, Roger McNamara or Guide to Interchange. My number, 561 Three seven nine three one five one, and finally, James, my email address is uh, guide to interchange the number at gmail.com. Yeah, we offer a one day uh, proposition for for ISOs and other sellers as well. So we will take proprietary sellers as well, and we've we've molded them into the the curriculum. But it's very effective. We teach everything from soup to nuts over the course of a day. We provide all the training material. And it's super, super cost effective uh, for for those that want to take it. Um, you know, I think somebody said to me the other day, you couldn't get a you couldn't get a class at a community college for what we charge. So, um, you know, we we uh, we like I said, we've had tons of partners. We do work for Visa. You know, we do general sales training as well uh, outside of the industry. Um, but um, you know, it's 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 been. Fantastic. Anybody who wants to reach out to me, reach out to me. We'll talk a little further on it and what we can do to help your business. But uh, James and Patty is always an absolute pleasure to be with you guys. And, uh, you know, wherever I go to James, um, your name is always certain to come up. Um, and I think I'm going to see you down in Florida, I think, or I hope. I think, uh, yeah. I think we're doing something at uh, one of the conferences together, aren't we? SEAA. Yeah, I'll be at SEAA. I'm, I'm looking to speak at SEAA and you know, hopefully go to the Midwest and the Western Conference too, if, if we open back up here and, yeah. and visit with people and, and, you know, share information. That's what it is. That's all about. Well, Roger, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Always a pleasure having you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. Pleasure. I appreciate it. Have a great afternoon. Take care. Well, Patty, of course, our sponsor for the podcast, Valor Paytech, ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. If you love our podcast, if you get value from it, do us a favor, go there, schedule your free demo, right, Patty? Yeah, I think everybody, you know, everybody who's been listening to this podcast for a while, if you haven't gone and made that, uh, gotten your free demo, you're behind the eight ball. Go do it now, ccsalespro.com slash Valor. Awesome. And that is a processor agnostic technology company that provides cash discounting, surcharging, but also just in general, standalone terminals, gateway solutions, omni-channel, really a fantastic company that your ISO needs to be aware of. Really, really important. Um, I think it's a really important advancement in our industry to have, to have this type of uh, device out there. Absolutely. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. 
So Patty, today I want to talk about probably the question I get asked most, and that is, which credit card processing company should I sell for? Okay. Uh huh. Now, I can save all of you your anticipation. I'm not going to name a processing company on our podcast. Um, however, what I will say is I'm connected with so many processing companies and I'm connected with so many agents. And inevitably, as these agents reach out for advice about this issue, um, and by the way, I will I will say it publicly that I do have a, a link on my website for Find a Processor where you can uh, right. call with me and I'll talk to you about it. But, you know, when I had these conversations, you know, and it's interesting, just today I got an email from an agent, um, who should I sell for, you know, named a couple of companies he's looking at. And I emailed back and said, I have no idea. Let's schedule a phone call. I don't have nearly enough context to answer this question, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it really matters about your context. There is no right processing company out there for you. And so I want to talk about the, the two, in my mind, the two or three major pillars or variables when you're making this decision. So in my mind, the top three is going to be, number one is going to be training. Number two is going to be solutions. And then number three is going to be compensation. And I have them in that order intentionally. Um, Training is, yeah. is a processor or ISO's ability to help you make a sale. If you can't make sales, nothing else matters. I don't care what their solutions nothing are. Nothing else can. Right. Right. And there's so many agents that come in, like one I talked to today, that's brand new to the industry. And I told this agent, I told him just flat out, I said, if you are going to sell for any processing company, that is not going to take you out in the field with a successful rep and have mm-hmm. them show you how to do this, you are insane. I don't care if they're going to give you a 97% split. Right. It's going to be zero goose egg because you're not going to sell anybody. Right. 97% of zero is zero. Exactly. <laughs> so I said, you know, you got to dial it back a little bit. I don't care about compensation as much. What I care first about is I'm only for that representative. I said, look, I will make introductions, but I am only going to introduce you to, I would never introduce you to a company that is going to try to totally from a remote setting, set you up right. and then say, good luck out there. We'll be here if you need us. You know, yeah. that is not going to work. I'm sorry, but you know that if you think back of your own experience in sales, that's never worked for you. You know, when you first started selling houses, what did you do? You probably were a junior realtor that worked with another realtor and you watched them sell 10, 15, 20 houses before you did your first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so somehow in this industry, the idea is, oh, well, it's just so easy. You just go out here and tell merchants you're going to save them money. It's like printing money. It's the easiest thing. Um, yeah, you go try to do it. And you call me and let me know if that's what you think after a day of being in the field. Right. Um, it is not easy. Okay. It is difficult. It is challenging. It is complicated. So what I would say is um, training top of my list. Now, for a, a, an agent that says, I've already made 50 merchant account sales. I don't need as much of the training. Okay, great. Next on my list is solutions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Solutions. With solutions, I'm going to throw in support with that. So it's solutions and support. But the idea is a solution includes support, meaning what are you going to provide to the merchant? What kind of point of sale options do they have? What kind of gateway options do they have? If you're selling cash discounting, do they have any kind of reasonable technology like our sponsors, Valor Paytech? Um, do they have reasonable technology for their cash discounting program? Um, do they offer interchange optimization like we just talked to Roger about? Um, right. What are these solutions that you have that you're able to sell? And for an experienced agent, that becomes even more important because you're now going after those larger accounts that, and they, they want something. They want some solutions, you know? Um, so I would say that's number two on my list. Um, number three on my list is compensation. Is compensation important? Absolutely. But remember compensation is a multiplier, meaning it's going to multiply the money you're going to make from your sales, but you've got to have the sales in order for the compensation to matter. So don't get quite so tied up with that. What you'll find is the other levers I mentioned from training, support, solutions, those levers and pulling them correctly with the right partner are actually going to enable you to make a lot more sales. And I think what would surprise a lot of the people on our podcast I would venture to say that almost all of the, what I would consider the top 1% earners in our business of individual agents, mm-hmm. their percentage residual split is probably much lower than you would guess. Um, and I'll tell you the reason is because they have figured something out that, yeah, you can get that really high split if you're willing to give up training, support, and solutions. Right. And what they figured out is if you do that, you're going to spend half your time 
putting out fires, helping right. your merchants, taking phone calls, blah, 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 losing deals, not being able to close accounts. What they figured out is, wait a second, you mean I can give up 10, 15, 20% of my residual split and in exchange, I can get a company that's actually going to support my merchants, that's actually going to pick the phone up, that's actually going to support me, that actually has solutions that, mm -hmm. I, that I can make sales with? Okay, that's a really good deal because I'm giving up 20% of my income, which is a multiplier, but I'm gaining 50% of my time. So right. I can double the sales at 20% less the commission. That is what you call a winning financial model, right? right. So right. look carefully when you're trying to find the right processing company. I know a lot of agents during this time are, are considering that. And again, I'll throw it out there again. I don't think I've ever even mentioned it on the podcast, but if you do go to ccsalespro.com, I have a button right at the top, find a processor. I'm more than happy to talk to you. I schedule a quick 10, 15 minute call. Um, I get some context. I figure out who I think would be best in the industry and I make an introduction. Um, and I've been doing that for years. It's something I do for my consulting clients. Um, I know the people I know and trust in the industry. And so, you know, do that. But at the very least, whether you do that or not, Make sure you're evaluating all of these different levers, not just compensation. <clears throat> and as a result, you're going to make a lot more money. Good stuff, James. Thanks. Thanks, Patty. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading the green sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, folks, it's uh, 2021 has been proving to be a contentious year for the card brands. Uh, First Visa and MasterCard were pressured into postponing interchange rate hikes for at least another year. Now comes news that the Department of Justice is investigating whether Visa has been stifling competition in the debit card market. Uh, what's more, Senator Dick Durbin, of course, whose name is synonymous with, uh, with interchange uh, regulation or debit interchange regulation, um, just delivered a stinging indictment against both Visa and MasterCard and hinted at additional interchange legislation could be in the cards. Wow, I actually didn't see this. So yeah, this is a really interesting uh, one. Yes, Ethan Mastercard were so kind as to comply with his request to yeah their price increases. He then went right behind them and and forgot and said and said, uh, listen, the these guys are are not playing fair. Um, it's basically what he said. Now, as I have explained in the past, but just to reiterate, he's Durbin is chair of the House Judiciary Committee. Um, as well as being second highest Democrat in the Senate. And uh, he, these remarks were right around when Visa changed its mind. It was a March 11th hearing of the Judiciary Subcommittee on Competition, Antitrust, and Consumer Protection. And they were doing a fact-finding hearing on the need for antitrust reform. Right. And uh, so in his statement, uh, you know, he was talking about some other things, but then he brought up the Durbin Amendment regulations, you know, and how... This has saved merchants billions of dollars in reduced interchange fees, but he complained about the, quote, staggering amount of interchange that's still assessed by Visa and MasterCard, uh, something he put at $62.5 billion last year. I think that's within what we, we have said here. Right. And uh, I'm just going to quote from his statement here. Uh, Those fees were far in excess of any reasonable measure of cost and far higher than what it would have been charged in a competitive market. But Visa and MasterCard still are so dominant in the payments market that merchants couldn't stay in business without using these cards. And then he asks, where is the policing authority to stop this duopoly from doing this to every merchant and retailer in America? Wow. So clearly this is something he wants Congress to be looking into. Yeah. Um, and as for the Justice Department, well, it appears its uh, inquiry appears to be related to the ability of merchants to route debit card payments through those through the less expensive EFT networks like Nice and Shazam. Um, now, the Durbin Amendment, in addition to requiring the Fed to regulate debit card interchange rates, also mandates that merchants be given a choice of two unaffiliated networks for routing debit card payments. Um, if the regulation, if the investigation is not resolved in Visa's favor, it could bring about tighter controls to limit their influence on routing, you know, the network's influence. Uh, 
Right. You know, and, and I thought it was interesting. I was doing a little research and I noticed that uh, regulators in other countries, most notably Australia, are already doing this, pressuring banks and networks to develop functionality that makes it easier to route debit card payments through local EFT POS networks. Right. right. You know, and, I, and the issue, I think, is really coming to a head because of the increased use of debit cards for contactless and other uh, what they call pinless debit transactions, you know, in a card not present environment. Right. Um, you know, most EFT networks can accommodate pinless debit provided the card issuing bank can enable that through the card's bin. Right. And according to one source, which is uh, the, mer the merchant consultancy CMPSI, about 50% of debit cards that are accepted by merchants haven't been enabled for this. That was as of last summer. Wow. And um, in response to that report, uh, Senator Durbin last summer, and I believe I reported on this, sent a letter to the Fed asking the regulator to look into whether large uh, debit card issuers and the brands are putting unnecessary roadblocks to merchant routing choice sure. and for them to take enforcement action if necessary and or address the problem through regulatory actions. Right. Right. And, and here's just a, you know, an interesting quote from that letter, just to kind of reflect back on that. He says, because the volume of online card not present transactions has increased dramatically during COVID-19, the need to address obstacles to pinless deb debit competition has grown more urgent. Um, and he said, uh, you know, just like uh, back in 2010, when Congress passed the Durbin Amendment, intervention, quote, intervention may become necessary again to prevent what appears to be the anti-competitive practice of major debit card issuers refusing to enable pinless debit functionality on their cards. Hmm. So, wow. you know, my take on this is, I don't know. I, you know, it's interesting when you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago about the interchange uh, rate hikes and Durbin urging them to, to put it off, you know, I, I kind of felt then, you know, this is, this is a simmering issue. He's not going to let go of this. It's like a dog with a bone. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, he's got to be the least favorite senator at the card brands right now. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he is. I'm sure yeah. he is. But yet he's also very powerful. So they don't want to run afoul of him. Right. And I think uh, there's so many things that you mentioned that I think maybe even some of our newer listeners could, could take a little recap on. But I mean, I think the idea here, for those who don't understand, Dick Durbin is the, the author of the Durbin Amendment, which regulated debit interchange to 22 cents and five basis points or 21 cents with a fraud adjustment. So we regulated, but in our country, we're one of, America is one of the only, I think the only country in the developed world left that has not regulated how much the card brands can charge right. for interchange the rationale behind the regulation is that they represent a, the word Dick Durbin uses a duopoly, meaning it's a monopoly of two companies together that control right. the entire market uh, to such an extent that they can charge basically whatever they want and merchants just have to swallow it. So the government steps in to regulate that to make sure they don't take unnecessary advantage. That's the rationale for that side. There's plenty in our, our industry that would say, hey, no, they're not. Uh, they, they're providing such a valuable service. They're, you know, they're charging a fee for those um, services. Then you also talked about debit and help me out here, Patty, if I misrepresent this, but my understanding of what you said is that the card brands, Visa and MasterCard, they actually do own debit networks. Correct. And when you put your PIN number in, you're running a you're, you're running your debit card through the debit networks instead of through the Visa and MasterCard network. And in those cases, Durban Amendment also had some regulation about some of these networks are cheaper than mm -hmm. others. It turns out the ones owned by Visa and MasterCard are a little more expensive as right. a general rule than the independent ones like uh, you know, NYCE and, and Shazam. And what you're saying is that this uh, new action is alleging that Visa and MasterCard are through anti-competitive practices, not allowing merchants to route their debit transactions through these lower cost networks because they want them to go through their own networks. It's yeah, it, with one little caveat, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not just Visa MasterCard, it's Visa MasterCard working with the card issuers. Got the it. major card issuers okay, have to enable that functionality. I got it. Okay. Okay. And yeah. so, you know, there's a obviously if those, you know, those issuers have a, a clear you know, a vested interest right. in not wanting them to go through. Absolutely. And 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 part of the argument that they make is 
well, the you know, Visa and MasterCard have invested lots of money in making pinless debit a possibility on their networks. And, and for one, I'm sorry, back up for one second. So pinless debit, we're talking about in some cases you can't use your pin number. Right. So, right. Doing an online transaction and you're putting, you're using your debit card. When right. you're pinless debit, you're talking about not running that transaction over the Visa or MasterCard network, but instead running it through one of the debit networks. One of the debit networks. Correct. Got it. And, and so Visa and MasterCard have invested in, in facilitating that through, you know, easily through the networks Their they networks. own. But yeah. Shazam and the other networks, you know, at least as the, as the debit issuers and Visa have explained it, you know, they've been behind the curve and, and, you know, haven't done the modifications to their networks right. to make that an easy switch. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. You say all this, uh, just one personal example, I think is, is intriguing about all of this. Yeah. You know, I don't know how many years ago it was maybe four or five years ago. And I'd been in the industry for four or five years and, um, someone from Shazam reached out to me and we had done some, did some business together and some, some things. And when they reached out to me, they're like, you know, yeah, this is so-and-so from Shazam. And I said, Who's Shazam? <laughs> you know? and I'm if like, you're not in the Midwest, you don't uh, know who Shazam is, right? right? And here I've been in the industry for all this time and I, I didn't even know who they were. They and, are, you know, so it's amazing. They're actually the oldest um, ATM POS debit network in the really? nation. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I they didn't. were one of the first um, to be created and it was no, we, them and then Pulse, which and Pulse eventually was acquired by Discover. Okay. But Shazam and Pulse, and then Nice came along, and you know Star and a few of the others. You know, right? We need to but, get. Uh, we'll have to get somebody from Shazam on here pretty soon to talk about this issue as well. I'm that sure. would be a great idea. Yeah, uh-huh. I'll reach out to them and see what we can do. Awesome, Patty. Great information as always. I know everybody's always following these insider reports to learn more of what's going on. You know. Uh, thanks, James. This episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast was brought to you by Valor Paytech the technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non-cash adjustment charges to tips. Now, all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing, all with cash discounting in mind. Valor Paytech, bold ideas, smart execution, make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.